Hey y'all, I'm Casey Bell from the Shake Up Learning Show, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. You know, a couple of years ago, my uh, my wedding band started having problems. And I've had it for 34 years, and uh, it started breaking at, at the backside of it. And we got it fixed a couple of different times. And then eventually, not too long ago, one of those, that backside just fell out, and it couldn't be fixed any longer. And I'm like, this is crazy. I, you know, I shouldn't have to deal with this. And, and so anyway, then a friend told me about uh, Boone Titanium Rings, and uh, which is at booneringscom And they have this incredible selection of titanium rings. And, and uh, I now have a titanium ring as my wedding band. What's really cool is like, it's an engraved ring that has uh, these cool car pistons on it and some stars. And, and the, I could have chosen from any kind of different stand, uh, styles, as well as they have all these other different types of rings, like uh, inlay that have meteorite, wood, acrylic, stone, and things like that. They also make uh, carved rings and, and, a, and just a, an assortment of other rings that uh, are just pretty amazing. They also make pendants and cufflinks and earrings, and as well as a couple different types of tools. Um, i got to tell you something. It's really cool because this ring's not going to break. <laughs> and uh, they, they'll make you happy. And uh, just as a note, uh, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, um, they've become an affiliate sponsor for us. And so if you were to use our code, which is capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, the number 12, and uh, use that at checkout, you get 10% off your ring, and uh, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 gets a commission. I think you're going to love their rings. I know I'd love mine. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Mark Hess. He currently is the principal of Mary Helen Guest Elementary School in Wald Lake, Michigan. Mark talks with me about how to support teachers during hybrid learning. So much to learn today. Thanks for listening, and by the way, before you go, Don't forget, it would be so cool if you would go into the podcast platform or app that you're listening to me on and rated and reviewed the podcast. Could you do that? What do you think? Please? (laughs) Thanks. Enjoy. District leaders nationwide have confirmed that online learning is here to stay. As one in five districts are planning to adopt or have already adopted a fully online school. With the evolving landscape in the competitive field of education, you might be wondering what you can do to stand out. Well, I encourage you to look into National Virtual Teacher Association, or NVTA, to pursue a college-accredited program recognized by states across the country to certify educators in online education. Their certification empowers educators to provide the world-class virtual instruction that every student deserves. The average teacher needs one semester to complete the program, and it culminates in a digital portfolio that you may use in job interviews or even with your current administration to, you know, (laughs) negotiate a raise or promotion. Some of the topics to be covered in the certification include establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources. The NVTA certification process was created to establish a valid and reliable research-based teacher qualification training process for virtual teachers to enhance their teaching and develop their ongoing reflective skills to improve teaching capacity. NVTA certification is a challenging and meaningful process to support your personal and professional goals. NVTA is an affiliate partner for Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Click the link in the show notes or go to my webpage, stephenmaletto.com, find the NVTA logo and go to their website that way. And if you do that, if you buy something, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 gets a commission and I greatly thank you for that. So go check them out. I think you'll be glad you did. 
You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Mark Hess is currently the principal at Mary Helen Guest Elementary in Wald Lake, Michigan. Hess has served in a variety of roles since he was hired by the district in 1993, including Executive Director of Instruction, Technology, and Assessment, Director of Technology and Data Analysis, Middle School Principal, Assistant Principal, Middle School Teacher, and Elementary Teacher. You've done a lot of stuff, Mark. (laughs) Well, I I always say after uh, five or six years, they have to find uh, something else to do with me. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Hess is passionate about student learning and engagement through instructional innovation and remains steadfast in the belief that all children can be successful. Mark, today we're going to focus on uh, getting advice from you on how to support teachers during hybrid learning. Say uh, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. Good to be here and uh, greetings from southeastern Michigan. Well, very, I start to say very cool. Uh, you're on a little warmer day today, no snow. I, <laughs> yeah, I actually have shorts and a t-shirt. We're in spring break mode. Our, our school district is off this week. And uh, in Michigan in, in March and April, you could have 70 degrees in sun one day and uh, 20 degrees in snow flurries the next. So today is a good sunny day. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, enjoy that sunny day. So uh, um you know, uh, Mark, you're currently the principal of Mary Helen Guest Elementary School. What do you like most about what you do as the principal? Well, sure. You know, I, I spent my first, oh, you know, 10, 15 years of my career in a building as a teacher and as a principal. And the last 10 or so years, I've been at central office, and uh, which, which was fantastic. I learned uh, a great deal about uh, organizational leadership, uh, systems, uh, K-12, uh, you know, operational uh, aspects of a school district. But the, to get back to a building and being on the front line with kids and with teachers, and, and really it, it grounds you about th- why I got into education in the first place. Um, an opportunity came, um, you know, presented itself to me about coming back to a building and, um, you know, I jumped at it, uh, being in the building with, with kids, with, uh, the parent community, with the staff, just being on the front lines with everyday teaching and learning, professional development, just seeing the kids, um, the social emotional learning aspect of, of the learning process, as well as the academics. And to do so at a time when, when we were in a crisis, right, with uh, the pandemic. And I just thought that um, to come back to a building during the pandemic, uh, the, the previous principal at the school had retired. And I just thought, you know, let's, let's, let's give it a go. And uh, it landed me here, and it couldn't have made a, a better decision. Uh, you know, when you, when you do something for 28 years, uh, you're always looking for something to reinvigorate that spark, that curiosity, that, um, and I've always loved what I have done, and whether it was data analysis or technology or the curriculum, uh, very interesting work, uh, important work, worked with great people. But coming back to an elementary building, um, you know, elementary, think about it, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, you know, we are teaching these kids literacy, how to read and write, numeracy, how to count, add, uh, number sense, you know, nothing is more critical than that. And to be, I guess, maybe towards the twilight of my career and to ground myself back to kind of that, that basic beginning um, really has, has filled my professional soul. That's awesome. That is so cool. It's, and what a, 
What a neat thing to, uh, like you said, to to go back in the building because that's you know th- there you are with the kids and the teachers and mm-hmm. and help make things happen and and especially right now in this uh, um, in COVID land. So uh, yeah, you bet. It's good stuff. So uh, all right, so I got to ask you this because you've you've got this whole career going for a while, and uh, if you could go back and talk to you as a teacher in your very first you know teaching role, what advice would you give you? Well. It's a good good question, and, and I am still in contact with a majority of my students from my first year of teaching. Now I say students, of course, now they're all adults and have you know families of, of their own. But through the the grace of social media, I've been able to reconnect uh, with my my first class. I guess it was in '93. It was a fourth grade class, and many of them, well, they're in their 30s now with, uh, you know, spouses, significant and other, their own children. You know, I would tell myself not not to sweat all the small stuff, um, focus on the big rocks. Um, academics are important, no doubt about it. We have standards, we have curriculum to cover, a scope and sequence, but do not forget the importance of relationships. Do not forget the importance of social emotional learning and the connections. Um, I think, you know, as a a young educator, I I was thirsty to please everybody. Um, I worried about things like, do I have the right bulletin board for that particular topic or or unit of study? Are my seats aligned the right way? Um, You know, am I, choosing the right spelling list, um, important decisions, no doubt about it, but focus more on the connection you have as an educator, as a teacher with the kids, because uh, that will sustain you much more deeply than a spelling list or a, um, a bulletin board or a seating chart. I love that. That's, uh, you know, it's funny because, um, yeah, I remember there was a lot of emphasis in the early '90s on the bulletin board, and uh, <laughs> oh, well, I went to a half-day professional development, thematic <laughs> bulletin boards, right? The, right. The, uh, you know, and I was, you know, that was my very first PD as a, a 23-year-old educator, um, half-day professional development. I, I, I think it was called a workshop, maybe at the time, uh, a make-and-take workshop where you learn how to create thematic bulletin boards. Um, not, not to minimize that. I think having a, a bright, colorful classroom where you're making connections visually is, is important, but maybe not as important to dedicate, uh, you know, a four-hour block of time right, <laughs> for right. professional learning. Might be able to figure this out without all that time, right? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. The, uh, uh, all right, so you know, today we're focused on how to support teachers during hybrid learning. Let's start by talking about some of the greatest challenges that your teachers faced trying to transition to hybrid learning. What do you think those are? I mean, what's... What? Yeah, a, a good, good question. I, I think for us, you know, technology would be an, an easy answer to say that we shifted from in-person learning. You know, this is going back a year ago, March. In Michigan, I think we closed the schools March 13th, March 14th. 
But really, our, our teachers were in pretty good shape with flipping the switch and, and switching to a remote learning environment. We, we had done a pretty good job in our district with uh, building teachers' stamina up, uh, competencies up with uh, things like Google Classroom, Zoom, um, posting assignments online, uh, doing interactive lessons. Um, not to say there weren't challenges with the technology, and, and, and of course, we really had to shine a spotlight to make sure all of our teachers felt comfortable. But I, I think if you were to ask the teachers, technology would be maybe third or fourth down the list in terms of challenges. I think the number one challenge was not being able to see the kids every day. Um, you know, that that's just a very different dynamic. When you are an educator, uh, a teacher, a principal, and you're in a building every day, having that uh, physical contact, the, the, the visibility, um, and, and, and switching to remote, even though you're seeing everybody through Zoom or, or Google Meet or whatever platform, it's not the same. And, and I think that over time, we had to do something because our teachers felt that even though they were delivering the lesson, kids were turning in assignments, they were having some robust conversations, there was just something missing, that physical connection, the ability to see you know, it, it, seeing a student online every day, you're seeing their face, you're, you know, it's just, it's just, it's not the same as seeing their emotional connectivity with you as an educator. Um, and, and I think our teachers had a hard time with that. Um, in my particular school, we're a Title I school, so we have a lot of uh, needs, um, you know, just some basic needs of, of making sure these kids are fed and making sure these kids, uh, you know, ha have time in the day just to have some independent reading and making sure they're supervised and just a lot of those types of challenges. And I, and I think our teachers felt they lost that connectivity. And so it really forced us to be creative and say, okay, how can we do it in a, in a COVID environment? What can we do? And, and, and early on, it was important for me to say that we're not social distancing, we're physical distancing, because there's a big difference. Physical distancing is that we're, we're going to honor physical distancing. We're going to be apart, um, follow CDC, CDC guidelines to make sure we help stop the spread of COVID. But just because we're distant doesn't mean we have to be socially distant, right? We can still have, um, you know, house calls virtually. We can still pick up a phone. We can still email. We can still have Zoom or Google Meet. We can still make those connections virtually. Um, but I think our teachers just, they felt a void not seeing the kids every day, um, more so than I would have anticipated at first. Um, I was so focused on the technology side of things about, okay, we have to make sure everyone has the necessary tools and uh, the training and uh, and we did that and it was important, but I didn't emphasize enough about how we can maintain the social emotional connection that are, I think are not only our kids needed, but our, our, our adults needed too. Well, that's, that's so, I, I totally understand what you're talking about. I mean, it's, you know, it's part of the reason why as soon as kids get, get a chance to be back with kids, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're right with each other. They, they want to be there talking and, and, and hanging out. And, th but it's the same thing with the adults. I mean, you, you see them, right. you know, it's, it's like they, they need, you know, you, you, I guess we really don't realize how much we need some of that social interaction that the computer just doesn't help you <laughs> deal with. It, right. The computer is a great tool and, and it's, 
you know, a great resource and, and essential, right? It's essential. I mean, here's one thing we've proven this past year. There are some meetings that we can do virtually, right? There are some efficiencies that we can create. But for me, some of the best thinking, some of the best innovation, some of the best ideas happen organically and impromptu. I'm in my office. I have an idea. I read an article. I, I get an email. It, I get up. I go talk to you know the person across the hall. Um, pretty soon, you know, it's that water cooler talk, right? You just don't have that water cooler talk in a virtual environment, and um, you know, you lose some of that organic you know, conversation um, when you're on virtual all the time. Because with Zoom, everything is scheduled, right? Nobody just has impromptu Zoom meetings. Um, you know, every Zoom or Google Meet, you set, schedule a time, you send out a calendar, invite people, accept. When you're in person, things can just happen more naturally, more organically, more, you know, more impromptu. And sometimes those are the best conversations that yield the best results. Most definitely, especially as a you know, a colleague in a hallway and you, you run into each other and next thing you know, you're having this conversation about whatever. And right, yeah, uh, yeah, not absolutely. planned. Love that. That's, that's good stuff. Yeah. Um, Mark, I, I've heard that as a principal, you understand the importance of meeting staff and teachers where they are and growing together, especially during a constantly changing school year. Tell us what you mean. So for a number of years, in, in one of my previous roles in the district, I was responsible for the professional development, professional learning for the teachers. And um, we have about 850 uh, teachers, um, about 1,200 staff with paraeducators, secretaries, things like that. Early on, when I was setting up a yearly plan for professional learning, right? Organizing that, uh, whether it be workshops, seminars, bringing guest speakers in. It was kind of a one-size-fits-all, thinking, you know, oh, just because something was meaningful for me, you know, I was at a conference or a workshop and I heard this speaker or I went to uh, a session on this particular topic and I thought, wow, that's fantastic. Everybody needs to hear that. We need to bring that person into our district. We need to bring that topic in boom, there's our, our day of professional learning, our half day, whatever it was. What I have learned is that really not everybody needs the same thing. You know, we talk about differentiating uh, instruction to meet the needs of the learners. We, we have to walk the walk. You know, if we're, if we're talking the talk, we have to walk the walk, not only with kids, with, with the adults too. And I have found the most effective professional learning and, and that, it, and I'll explain there's a difference between training, professional development, professional learning. But right now I'll talk about professional learning. Um, not everybody needs this, the same topic or the same uh, professional learning at the same time. So meeting the teachers where they're at is, you know, what I like to do now is we offer like a menu of options, right? You know, here's our overarching theme. So let's say MTSS, multi-tiered system of supports, where there's so many facets of an MTSS. Maybe on a day when we have like a professional development day or professional learning day, we offer MTSS sessions um, you know, but different topics or different components of MTSS. It doesn't have to be the same thing. And that's when I realized that teachers, adults, we need to know the why, right? Always Simon Sinek says, always start with the why. And as, as 
instructional leaders, as principals, as directors, superintendents, assistant superintendents, if we do a good job of explaining the why, why this will be important, why this will create efficiencies, why this will benefit kids, why this will help you as an educator, um, you know, work smarter and not harder, it, teachers will gravitate towards that. And, and meeting them where they're at is just, hey, um, everyone's at a different place. MTSS is our broad theme, but you know we're going to offer sessions on data collection. We're going to offer sessions on tier one supports. We're going to offer sessions on, you know, the parent communication or social emotional learning. You're the professional. Pick the track or pick the the professional learning that best meets your needs of where you're at at that particular time. Um, and I just think, you know, that's just practicing what we preach when we talk about differentiating in the classroom, right? You know, how many times do we hear teachers say, okay, I have 30 kids, all with varying degrees of ability. Well, as a principal, I have 30 teachers, all with varying degrees of uh, ability when it comes to MTSS. And so I need to meet them where they're at. So that's kind of where that came from. And and that's kind of been the the philosophy that I have adopted. And it's, um, you know, my um, end of the day reviews or uh, surveys, um, feedback, shall we say, on professional development sessions are far greater and, and, and much more happy faces now than they were, let's say, 10 years ago. Very nice. Very nice. I like that. That's uh, so, so we got to talk about it because, you know, systems are well-meaning. I mean, they, there's no one who sets sure. out and says, I'm going to, to, to try and punish. I hope there's no one who says, sits out and says, you know, my idea is that I'm going to, to bore the staff to death and they're going to have to take my, my PD no matter what. Um, sure. They, uh, what sort of thoughts do you have about, uh, I mean, what type of uh, stuff right now is kind of helpful? Are the teachers needing in professional development to help them with this hybrid um, work? I mean, sure. You know, and, and there are times in, in very viable and justifiable situations where you do have to offer, like I'll give you a great example. In our particular district, we had a um, significant net, network hack about a year ago, right? Network. Um, I think they call it ransomware. It um, mm. it was about the time there were school districts, I think, in West Virginia, Texas, that were experiencing the same thing. So as, as part of that, you do have to say, employees, you know, um, everyone needs to take this hour course in, you know, cybersecurity or protecting yourself or password protection. Those are just operational things that sometimes you just have to do. Um, and, and, you know, or maybe the state is rolling out a new initiative and everyone has to be trained or you're rolling out a new student information system and everyone has to be trained. Those are just that's the training part where everyone just has to be trained in how to use something. Um, then the professional learning part is, OK, well, how can we make meaning of this so it can it can make our lives more efficient and it can benefit the kids Um so that, that's kind of where I look at in terms of, you know, the difference between like training or those mandates and, and, and meeting teachers where they're at in terms of uh, different types of professional learning opportunities. Right now, I would say a, a couple of different um, broad-based topics. Some of our are, are state-based because in Michigan, there's this huge initiative about MTSS uh, and social-emotional learning. I think if anything, this pandemic has done this last year has shined a spotlight 
on social emotional learning, which I think is good. I think the pendulum has shifted a little bit. Um, in Michigan, like in many states, I think there was a huge focus on standards, you know, the whole Common Core standards, um, which, which were fine. We need standards. We need curriculum. We need speci uh, specific objectives. Um, but I think what was lost in a lot of that was the relationship piece to social emotional learning. You know, schools are a hub now for a lot of those community services that, that have been eliminated, right? You know, um, we are, you know, I have Easter Seals that comes to my school every, every week because Easter Seals lost their community building and they need a, a space. And so we let Easter Seals come into our building and they meet with kids. Um, you know, so we're providing counseling services. We're providing, we're helping families with, uh, you know, community support groups. And, um, you know, look how many school districts have been delivering meals, right, uh, during a pandemic, breakfast yes. and lunch and dinner, right? You know, uh, I, I read in, in the news or in the paper and uh, districts all across the U.S., parents drive up. Um, usually to a high school or middle school or the distribution center. So, you know, schools are now, you know, it's part of our job to provide uh, meals for families. Um, you know, in my particular school in this past month, we've done hearing and vision screening and we had a mobile dentist, right? So we're providing like healthcare type services, right? All important. Um, these are all programs and services that 20, 30 years ago were part of the community and the municipality, the local governments. Those have all been stripped. Um, school districts are faced with just um, providing a lot of those services that go beyond just the academics. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about, with our staff about wraparound services, you know, helping connect families to um you know, different support that they may need. Um, so many families have been compromised in terms of oh, jobs and, you know, the financial aspect of uh, losing jobs or hours cut back or unemployment. Um, and, you know, they turn to the school, right? Which, which in some respects, you know, Sometimes I think, gosh, why are schools, you know, our job is to be educating these kids. Why are we involved in hearing and vision screening? Why are we involved in providing a mobile dentist to do dental screening? Why are we helping families um, getting meals? But at the same time, because families are looking to schools, that's kind of an honor for us. That's a, that's a privilege for us. That's a responsibility for us that I take seriously that they trust us. And we have built that relationship where they turn to us when they're in need. And that that's an incredible feeling. That's what I tell my staff. I say, think about this. Not only are we educating the kids in our community, but a lot of our families are looking to us to help them with just basic living skills. And what an awesome responsibility that is and what a privilege that is that we can, that they trust us um, to ask and, and seek for our help and support with that. So, um, you know, and it, it kind of goes back to that first question about, you know, going back in a time machine and my first year teacher, Mark, what would I say? It's relationships, social, emotional learning, that it's, it's, it's more than just, the standards. It's more than just the tests. It's more than just the learning targets. It's more than just the vocabulary. Um, it's, it's the, the whole child. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's, it's true. Oh, I'm very much so. That's, uh, you know, it, 
if nothing else, it becomes so much more obvious when, when in my case, many of my school superintendents were either driving the bus or part of that yep. food delivery. And, uh, you know, and it, and it speaks very loudly to the different ways that we serve the community to try and figure out how to help them get through, you know, what uh, nonsense the, the world has created. And, uh, you know, so that's, it's, it's, it, it's an interesting aspect of it. It's become uh, what we do. You can't just be about academics. So it's, it's so much more. And, uh, but, you know, one of the things you keep, you keep talking about, I want to make, I want to delve into this just a little bit because sure. um, you're talking about uh, the idea of social emotional learning. Let's talk about why it's helpful, why, why teachers and administrators really need to take time to understand what those terms mean and then see them in, you know, in action and such and, and see what they can do sure. to, uh, to be better within that world, I guess. So that's a great question. And that's where my learning over the last, you know, 28 years as an educator has evolved. Um, there's enough research now to support that if kids coming to our schools aren't in a particular emotional state, if, if they're coming and we know there's trauma and we know there's anxiety and we know that these youngsters are coming to us with experiences that that maybe you and I did not experience when we were in, in elementary school. How can we expect them to sit uh, in a learning, a cooperative learning group and, you know, learn about number sense or uh, paragraph structure when in their mind, all they're just thinking about is, you know, hearing mother and father argue over finances or the stress of a, a mom or dad losing a job due to COVID, you know, we, we can't underestimate what the youngsters are bringing to us each and every day in terms of their e emotional state of mind. Um, I used to think, you know, the, the early versions of Mark, the teacher, used to think that there was just a switch and they're just kids. And when they come to school, they're going to be focused on school. Um, I, you know, I was wrong. Um, I look back now that first couple of years and think of some of my kids that I can't imagine what they were going through knowing what I know now, right? Whether it be mom and dad going through a divorce or financial hardship or a brother and sister who was diagnosed with leukemia or cancer. Um, those are very real feelings. And I think as educators, we need to balance the academics with the whole child, the social emotional aspect, um, building relationships, uh, acknowledging that um, when a child is hurting, that we reach out, reach out to them and that they know that um, every single child that comes, steps foot into a school needs to have an advocate at that school. It could be a classroom teacher, it could be a secretary, it could be the janitor, it could be the lunchroom supervisor, it could be the principal. But, you know, I tell my staff every year is every one of these kids that come into our doors every morning, we need to know them. We need to know their name. We need to know who they are. We need to know what they're thinking about. Uh, we need to be aware and we need to provide those supports. And it could be just sitting in our sitting down with somebody that's having a hard time. We, we have throughout the school and outside on recess, what we call buddy benches. Um, and, you know, if somebody is sitting on the buddy bench, that means that they just need a, a comforting word, um, you know, a high five, a, 
a hug or somebody just to listen to them. Um, every student deserves an advocate at the school. And um, I think if we can spend time on that, and I think if we can build those relationships where the kids feel comfortable, then the academics become, I think, more clear to them. And I think we have a, an easier time of, you know, and we are duty bound to teach the curriculum, their state standards, local standards. Of course, we have state assessments, all very important. It's much easier to get to that if the kids are in a state of mind of, of they feel safe, they feel loved, they're happy to be here. And sometimes we have to hit the pause button on the academics just to spend a little bit of time on making sure that they know that we care for them, that we love them, we're, we're their advocate, we're in their corner, we'll help them, we'll help their family. Um, and anything we can do to put these young minds at ease, I think is, is our ultimate responsibility uh, and, and really a privilege. And so I, I don't, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but I know for me and I think my immediate colleagues, I think there was a, a, a decade there in the 2000s that we kind of lost sight of that and was all about, you know, standards and curriculum and test scores and accountability and data, um, which are all important. But now that I'm a little bit older and wiser, and uh, I think that that takes a little bit of a secondary role compared to the relationships that we build with, with the kids and, and, and with each other. You know, we talked earlier about the, the teachers. Um, as a principal, one of the first things I do every morning is once all the kids are in here in, in classroom is, you know, I make my morning rounds. I need to see the teachers. I need to physically see them and have a brief conversation with them every morning just to make sure they're in, they're in a good space. Right. And if they're not, then I know that I need to spend a little bit more time. You know, how are you? What can I do? Can I cover your classroom for 15 minutes while you take a, a quick break? Um, Cause everyone's going through, especially this year, everyone's going through something. Right. And we never know what, somebody is going through um, if we're not paying attention. And so, um, yeah. Oh, that's so, so powerful what you're talking about there. It really is the uh, um, just recognizing just the different types of things going on in the kids world, which if mm -hmm. there's so much that could be, uh, and uh, just um, being, just recognizing the impact that it has. And even if it's just something like, uh, I mean, something that's a little more simplistic, that seems simplistic, to somebody else until you realize that for a young child, you know, like they lost their dog or something like this. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, that, that, you know, kids have trauma. And I think as adults, you know, we didn't always look at it through the lens of trauma. We just looked at it through, come on kid, you know, buck up, you know, get it together. Um, you know, learn and move on. Um, you know, a lot of those things, loss of a pet, a divorce, uh, uh, a relationship issue, you know, uh, a fight with a best friend. As adults, we, we can compartmentalize a lot of that, and, and we have coping skills and strategies. But when you're, when you're 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, you're still learning those coping strategies. You're, you're still learning how to, to mitigate those type of feelings. Uh, and, and we have to recognize that, and we have to, to teach them, and we have to help them. It's so right on the money. I like that. The, uh, let's kind of shift to the teachers for a minute. The teachers get 
different challenges that they have to deal with. How, how can we help them become creative problem solvers in, in, in those challenges in the day? Yeah, good question. Um, collaboration, you know, never underestimate the power of, of a team. Um, you know, early on in my career, I was kind of, I surrounded myself with just a few people and, and, and I thought that was great. That's all I needed for my creative and innovative ideas. Um, but the more we work into teams, um, the more we are open to new ideas, the more we, and it's very hard for educators to abandon past practice, right? We have school districts have a lot of legacy practices, right? So, you know, new teachers come in, they start asking us questions about, well, why do you do this? Why do you do that? And, and for, you know, much of our response is, well, that's how we've done it. Or, you know, those are just legacy practices. And, and often it's very hard for school districts to let go uh, of a lot of those practices. But we, we just need to be open to new ideas. We, we need to work together as a team. We, you know, um, oh, Stephen Covey, you know, seven habits, right? right. Uh, at some point in our professional life, we've all read or had a workshop about the seven habits. But the the habit about seeking first to understand before being understood is so on the money. You know, um, some of the best ideas that that come across for me anyway are, you know, I, I want to listen first. Yeah, I often want to be the last person to talk in a meeting. The more I listen, that's the more information that I have. The more I listen, that's the more ideas that are coming my way, my thoughts. Um, I think, and you know, here's the other important thing that we don't do, a, uh, I don't think we do this well enough in, uh, as administrators, we need to let teachers take risks and we need to tell them it's okay to fail. I think there's so much pressure on, um, you know, the data collection, teacher evaluation, and, you know, that has stymied a lot of innovative and creative thinking because teachers might have a really cool idea, a really innovative idea, but they might be a little bit skittish to try it because if they fail, is it going to harm my evaluation? Am I not going to have the data that I think I, I need? Um, we need to just tell the teachers, don't worry about it. Some of the best learning happens through failure, right? Um, if there is an innovative idea and I have a teacher that's passionate about it and has presented their argument about it and it seems good to me, but there's a risk to it, I'm going to encourage them, right? Because um, if we always play it safe and we don't incubate those ideas and that innovation, then all we're doing is perpetuating these legacy practices. So, um, you know, principles out there, allow your teachers to take risks. And if they fail, it's okay. Um, let's learn from those. Um, all great historians, all great athletes and astronauts and the scientific community and all the great poets and authors, everyone has experienced failure and you'll learn and you become great through your failures. We want our teachers to be great, which means we need to accept the fact that they're going to take risks, they're going to fail, but they're going to learn from that um, on their way to greatness. And so allow that. I love that. I, 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 and I've never understood colleagues who didn't want to encourage it. I mean, it's because it's the more, the, the more creative the teacher is at addressing the things that's, the, you know, that empowerment within their classroom and in the building, the, the, the more it's, it kind of 
you see it grow. You see them go from one creative idea to suddenly they've got lots of, you know, kind of neat stuff to try and get the kids excited and engaged in what's going on in the classroom. That passion comes forth and, you know, you've got your thumb on them and you're not, it's not, that's not good stuff. Well, you know, I've always said we would never send our own kids to a pediatrician that was practicing medicine from the 70s or 80s. We'd never send our car to a mechanic who was using, uh, um, you know, techniques from the 80s. Why on earth would we send kids to schools that were practicing instructional methods from the 70s or 80s? We want to send our kids to the best schools that are current on the research and um, the instructional styles, just like we, you know, if we're diagnosed with cancer, we don't want to say, gee, I want to go to the oncologist that, uh, you know, treated my dad, you know, 40 years ago that is, is stagnant in their practice. No, we want the best, right? We want the, we want the physician that's on the latest in technology and the research. We want the auto mechanic that is practicing the latest of diagnostic technologies, right? And, and I think our parents need, deserve that from schools, right? Um, I don't want to send my kids to a, a, a school that, you know, where the, the teachers are, are doing the same thing they are, are in 2021 as they were in, you know, in 2001, right? Um, right. We need to grow. We need to evolve. Oh, very. That's an important point right there. I mean, because it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, if we're still uh, my favorite part about that, because I'm going to shift over to technology here in just a minute. But uh, if we were using the same uh, technology, uh, teaching the same way, the technology of the 80s, uh, you know, early 80s, especially early 80s, that was, uh, yeah. you know, uh, if then go to statements are, are, are all the rave. So, <laughs> yeah, line, line 10, line 20, right? yes. go to if then the basic programming. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, we're still doing that now. No wonder, you know, we'd, yeah, we'd be in trouble. So uh, <laughs> good stuff. Uh, so let's let's shift to technology. Uh, you know, over this last year, more and more technology has been shared as the solution to all of the woes of the classroom. Could you talk about leveraging best-in-class technology to help the teacher address student needs? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, we, you know, I'm fortunate to work in a district that f- were early adopters of technology, um, you know, even back in the 90s when I, when I first started teaching. I think one of the most significant things that we did, uh, and I was, in our district, and I was very happy to be part of that, is um, we took the curriculum and instructional department um, and merged it with the technology department. Now, this is going back 12, 15 years. Many districts, you have a tech department, you have a curriculum department, um, or, you know, director of academics, director of curriculum, director of technology. But really, we needed to look at it through the lens of you can't talk about tech, you can't talk about curriculum and instruction without talking about technology. So we we merged those departments, and uh, you know I got to lead that department for about a decade. Um, and so when we had our meetings, we had the, the the not only the instructional folks, but we had the the, the tech folks together uh, to build a common vocabulary. Uh, we always looked at technology when we were bringing in new technology, we had to look at it through the lens of teaching and learning. So um, we needed to look at not just technology as tools or devices that we were purchasing um, and giving to teachers or students. We had to identify what's our instructional need first. Um, too many school districts, I think, make the mistake of going out and grabbing products first and then trying to figure out how to use them. Um, I always look at the great iPad, um, you know, era of the, the 2008, 2009, 2010, 
And I get it. It was sexy at the time to go out and bring in iPads. But then these iPads sat because nobody really knew what to do with them for um, instructional purposes. Identify your instructional treatment first before identifying the technology to support that. Um, and, and like we were able to do that, I think, uh, for example, um, in our district, when we switched to uh, uh, or adopted Google Apps for Education, a lot of that stemmed from the, I, I, you know, the instructional idea that we wanted to provide more real-time um, immediate feedback to our kids on their writing, right? And so the old days of kids, uh, whether it be a free write or responding to a writing prompt, they write it in a journal, teacher collects the journal, and uh, God bless those English teachers, but, you know, it would take them days to go through and, and, and look at all those uh, writing samples. And so we said, boy, was, wouldn't it be great if as kids were typing, the teacher had real-time access to that? Um, of course, before this, we had like the Microsoft Word and, you know, saving a file, save as, attach it, send it to the teacher. And then we said, you know, looked at Google and we said, okay, this is our instructional need right? This is how we think, uh, this is how we want to use technology to provide more real-time collaborative feedback to our kids. We identified that need first and then looked at tech products to meet that need. Uh, same thing with, you know, um, we uh, deployed over 800 Epson short throw touch projectors uh, a few years ago in high definition uh, Epson document cameras. We didn't want any projector we felt that we wanted kids to be able to manipulate content on the dry erase board, right? So um, it wasn't enough for us to, for teachers just to present content on the dry erase board through a projector. How do we involve the kids? Because our strategy was, I don't want the teacher up in front of the room. I want the teachers walking through the room, facilitating the learning. I want the kids up interacting on the board with the projector. And so that's how we, we landed on, boy, wouldn't it be cool if there was projectors that could give us high resolution images, uh, video, but also allowed us to annotate, allowed for kids to touch and manipulate. And that's how we landed on like the Epson short throw uh, touch projectors. So I always say start with what the instructional need is and then look for the technology out there to, to, to match or, you know, marry that instructional, that learning need. Very cool. By the way, I love that device that you're talking about. The, you know, it's, it's one of those things where who would have thunk a bunch of years ago that uh, when, uh, you know, as a kid, you always kind of, at least as, as a kid here, I always wanted sure. to, uh, um, you know, be able to be like in those sci-fi movies and stuff like this, be able to manipulate stuff on the wall. And, sure. and, uh, and the lo and behold, they got these, the, the, these projectors now that throw it up there and make any, almost oh, any wall. It, it's, you know, just screen. recently, the last couple of weeks, I think I was on a first grade classroom and, um, I came in towards the end of the lesson, but it was about the whole egg, larva, pupa, and adult of, of like, uh, um, like a butterfly, right. A moth. And, you know, part of the, the lesson that the teacher was explaining sequencing and order of events. And, and so up on the board was pictures of egg, larva, pupa, and adult. And the kids were going up and just moving them. Not only had the vocabulary word, but it had a visual image of the egg, the larva, pupa, and adult. 
and manipulating them. So they, in, in one person was doing that and they had a learning buddy that was doing the, the, the quality control, the checking to make sure it was right. But you know, that tactile learning, um, it's not only visual learning, it's a tactile. The teacher was nowhere near the board. The, the teacher wasn't controlling the content. The kids were, the teacher was just merely walking through the room, helping to facilitate those conversations and facilitating the learning. But the interaction with the content were the kids. So cool. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's what's neat is that getting them in there, messing with it, learning and being just, just being an active participant in it where they're up and doing. And that's just, I mm -hmm. love that. I love it. Good stuff. So, so Mark, something that's mentioned often is figuring out how to be innovative in the classroom. I mean, how do you promote the teachers seeking innovative approaches to working with the kids? I mean, how do you get them to, to try and do that stuff? Just like what you're just talking here. I mean, there's some, I work with some colleagues who, you know, with the short throw projectors who you might as well just give them a 1970s overhead projector because that's what you, it's a lot cheaper than what sure. you gave them. <laughs> that's a good question. Um, so a couple of things. One, I would say as administrators, we have to model, right? I have to practice what I preach. So um, if I'm having a staff meeting, um, I, I better make sure my staff meetings are innovative. Um, if I want to model technology, whether it be like a new software, like a, like a Padlet, uh, uh, you know, um, Oh, like a, um, a polling, you know, where they use the, the telephone or their smartphone to answer a polling, a poll everywhere is what I was thinking, where you can ask a question and use their smartphone to type in a response. As an administrator, I better be modeling that. I better be advocating for that. I better be bringing in and practicing new ideas, uh, willing to take risks. So that's one thing. As educators, we have to, if we expect our teachers to, to use new technologies and to innovate uh, as instructional leaders, we need to do the same thing. But there's also the importance of the art of conversation. Um, when I was a middle school principal, we uh, at the time, so this is going back maybe 15, 18 years, I wrote a grant and we were able to get smart boards in all of our classrooms, right? The old, they were on wheels, wheel them in, the smart board, early versions of the smart board, right? The, the very early versions. And, and, um, and I just assumed that um, teachers would walk in, they would see the smart board and they'd be like, oh my gosh, this is great. I can't wait to use it. But like you mentioned, you know, there are some teachers that absolutely, they rolled up their sleeves, put in a sweat equity, learned how to use it and started, uh, you know, using that smart board in their lessons. Other teacher, it just sat there, right? You know, I did not do a, a, a good enough job to connect the why, right? I did not do a, a good enough job to say, listen, if you take the time to learn how to use a smart board, I think you're going to have a lot of success. Uh, in the classroom. I think you're going to have some efficiencies. Um, kids are going to be more engaged. We, we know when kids are more engaged, uh, discipline issues, you know, tend to decline. But then there were some teachers who just thought, and, and we had some very open conversations about, you know, what they were doing was working well, and they didn't need to bring in new technology. So that's when I had a conversation and I, I actually did this at a staff meeting. It, it, it's one of those ideas that came to me uh, late one night and I got up out of bed and put together a PowerPoint presentation and each slide was a picture, a remote control, um, uh, 
a, a cable box system, uh, a garage door opener, a microwave oven, a smartphone, a, uh, you know, uh, satellite radio. And I said, all right, if you have one of these objects, just raise your hand. So, you know, it, a garage door opener, everyone raises their hand, a microwave raises their hand, smartphone, everyone raises their hand, uh, a Bluetooth player, right? Or a blue, yeah, Blu-ray player, everyone raises their hand. And what I was doing, and I said, listen, you have adopted technology in your personal life to make your personal life more efficient and more plentiful. Why wouldn't you adopt technology in your professional life to make your professional life more plentiful and more efficient? Kids are looking to us, right, to be that conduit between the content and innovation and technology. We have a moral obligation to supply that. So don't tell me you don't want to learn new technologies because you've just proven to me out of the 15 pictures I put up on this PowerPoint, you've raised your hand for 12 of them. So you've proven to me that you can learn new technology. You've proven to me that you do value new technology because you've taken the time to adopt this technology in your professional or your personal life we need to do that same in your in your professional life. And that really, I think, resonated with some of the teachers. And I wasn't doing it in a, in a critical way. I was doing it as, come on, guys, we're, we're educators, we're professionals. We are duty bound to do whatever we can to help these kids learn. Um, you know, we have a moral obligation. And if we're not adopting new technologies, uh, you know, that that's, that's educational malpractice. You know, I always go back is, you know, you wouldn't send your kid to a pediatrician that wasn't using the latest and greatest in diagnostic and, and, and um, you know, treatment methodologies. Why would we send our kids to schools where, you know, we're not practicing the latest in technology? And so that that helped me. You know, it was hard for anyone to, to win that argument, right? That, they, yes. you know, they said, you're right. You know, I have all of these things at home. Um, so I, I can learn something new. That's cool. You know, it's something that, you know, on a personal note, it's funny because you think about some of the, the technologies that we do have and, you know, that I'm, I'm kind of trying to stay focused on, all right, I'm not going to be too far behind some of the younger, this, this generation is right behind me or, or even two back because I want to, I want to figure this stuff out and see what I can do to make it work. So, um, sure. so I've experiment, you know, been experimenting with the, the smart home, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, the internet of things, the smart home, the, the, the video doorbells, the, the, the smart thermostats, the smart light switches. Absolutely. Um, and, and because, and I'm the same way because a, I, you know, if I can create some efficiencies, maybe save a little bit of money, um, why not? Right. It, right. It's going to make my life easier at home. Um, I need to have that same approach or as educators, we need to have that same approach about our, our professional life, just like we do our, our personal lives. Most definitely. That's good stuff. I, I like that. Uh, it, uh, Mark, we're getting close to, to finishing up. And uh, but sure. before we do, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more about what you're thinking, where would you send them? Well, yeah, a couple, I guess, uh, my Twitter handle, um, People can reach out to me. That's uh, it's real simple. It's Mark Hess ninety eight. So M A R K H E S S nine eight. The number's nine eight. Feel free to reach uh, out to me through Twitter. Uh, email um, Mark Hess M A R K H E S S at W L 
csd. Be happy to talk to anybody uh, wants to send me an email and we can set up a, a, a phone call or just email exchange or just a Zoom call. Uh, but uh, you can find me on Facebook um, or uh, our school website. So uh, it's, you go to the Google, type in Mary Helen Guest Elementary in Wild Lake and you'll find me there. Very cool. Very cool. So real quick, I think it blipped a little bit there when you said uh, Mark Hess at WLCSD dot org. Thank you. O-R-G. Yep. Very cool. And it's, I'll put these links in my show notes and, uh, and so they, they can reach out and they'll, they'll have a bunch of them there so they could reach out to you. Awesome stuff. So, so Mark, before we go, I got two more questions I'd like to ask sure. my guests. And uh, the first one goes like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Yeah. Um, and boy, this has certainly been a year where we think to ourselves, oh my goodness, what more could be thrown our way, right? Right, right. Um, so, you know, just being in a school environment every day with kids and with teachers, seeing this, you know, it, it, it sounds like a cliche, but when the kids get off the bus and they're running up to you on the sidewalk and giving you a hug or a COVID hug, which we call, we call them bubble hugs, right? Where we <laughs> we're extending our arms and we're not quite embracing. Um, or when a youngster is so happy to show me their art project or their writing assignment, and they just want to share that, you know, that, that fills my soul that invigorates me. That gives me all the, the motivation energy I need. Um, you know, it reminds me of why I got into education in the first place and just to work with youngsters and, and to see the growth. Uh, I, I do believe all kids can learn. Um, you know, uh, kids have struggles and, um, you know, even our kids that might have some, um, uh, some special abilities that might be different than others to see them have their growth and the smile on their faces. That that's the fuel. That's the professional itch. The, that's what invigorates me to keep me going. Um, all the other things, things I can't control, you know, state mandates, uh, school budgets, um, you know, those type of things, uh, standardized testing. I, I can't worry about those because I can't control those, but I can control, how I interact with kids. I can control the kind of relationships I have with my teachers and, and with my parents. And I'll focus on that. Awesome. I love that. I love that. Great, great, great advice. Uh, do, do you have a teacher in your past who uh, made a difference in your life? And if so, if you had a chance to say thank you, what would you say? Sure. Um, I think about this a lot. You know, I think I look back you know, I remember all of my teachers all through elementary, middle school. I, I remember most of my high school teachers and I remember all my principals and my elementary principal, his name was Dr. Art Pierre. Now he has passed away. He, he passed away about 10 years ago. Um, he just inspired me to be a teacher and to be a principal. I, I, I channel my inner Dr. Pierre often about, I just remember so vi vividly what he was like in elementary school, always visible in the hallway, greeting kids every day, coming out to recess and playing with us, being in the lunchroom, sitting down with us and having lunch. I was always in awe of him. And I always thought, boy, if that's what a principal should be he's doing it right and so um and i did get a chance to thank him um 
many years ago after he had retired and, and, and we connected and, you know, I wrote, um, I wrote a paper about him, about the reason I got into education was because of Dr. Pierre. So I think about him often, but I had amazing teachers. Um, I had uh, in high school, a math teacher who also was my uh, basketball coach. And I think he really taught me that, you know, it's more than just the academics, it's the life skills, it's the relationships. Um, and, and he was pretty special. And I think about him often. I had an English teacher who really, challenged me and you know I was kind of a smart aleck kid and I had my freshman year in high school and she called me out and um, I think she pushed me and you know I went from the beginning of the year to thinking that boy this teacher's really mean and out to get me towards the end of the year to think boy this teacher sees something in me and believes in me um, but uh, yeah it's all, all all positive people that's awesome appreciate you sharing them it's cool stuff the impact that others and have in our lives as kids, you just never know. Uh, good, good, good stuff. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for talking with me today. Uh, I mean, it's great hearing about your ideas about supporting teachers in, in this hybrid world we got. And uh, I'm wishing you the best in all you do. Well, thank you. Good to be here. And uh, here's to a, a, a healthy and prosperous 2021. And uh, best of luck to you and wishing you good health and nothing but success uh, this year. Hey, did you know that you can buy me a soft drink? That's right. By going to buy me a coffee dot com slash Stephen Maletto. You can support teaching, learning, leading K-12 by making a donation. And it's really cool. You got this little cool uh, soft drink cup right there. <laughs> that would be so awesome if you do that. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash Stephen Maletto and you can help support teaching, learning, leading K-12. Thank you so much. Teaching, learning, leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. Here. Teaching Learning Leading K 12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K 12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K 12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.